parable of the farmer scattering seed. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon withered, wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on the fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as it had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parable, parables meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what, what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come out once and take it away. Come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those others who hear God's word but are too, all too quickly the messages crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so no fruits is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 60, 70 or even 100 times as much as plant has been planted. So as I said, we're walking through the Gospel of Mark. We're at um, the parables. And, and as, we get, as we prepare to kind of walk into, into the parables, there's, there's a couple of things. Like I, I was just thinking about, so uh, Luke and I and Samantha are reading this book called um, You Are What You Love. We're kind of walking through it this summer uh, together, discussing it, talking about it, arguing back and forth about it. It's one of those books. It's, it's a very thought-provoking book. Um, and, and it's one I, I've read in the past and, and really influenced me in a lot of ways. And, 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 he, and like I said, the title of the book is called You Are What You Love. And he has this line at the very beginning of the book where he says, you are what you love, but you may not love what you think. <laughs> it causes a pause to stop and go, is he right about that? I am what I love, but I may not love what I think. And, I, and, and what I believe is sometimes there is a disconnect between the things that 
that I may assent to with my head over and against the things that I actually truly believe with my heart, with the core of my being. And in the book, he actually he gives a, an illustration, and I'm just going to steal it. It's probably not the first time I think I've probably given this illustration up here, but because I just think it's, it's so helpful in, in kind of understanding what I'm saying. He tells a story about how he was a pretty overweight guy whose wife convinced him that he needed to start uh, maybe eating a bit healthier. So being an academic himself, he started reading all of these books about healthy eating. In fact, he found the author Wendell Berry, um, who he really, he really got into Wendell Berry and all of this kind of stuff, you know, from farm to table and, and all of this kind of like organic eating and, you know, growing your own vegetables, like all this kind of stuff. And he said he found himself just convinced by the arguments. This is right. This is good. What have I been doing with my life? Gosh, all the processed meats I've been eating, all of these things, like they're terrible for me. I shouldn't be eating them. And he realized at one point where he was having one of these moments of epiphany where he was amening and underlining as he's reading the book, and he realized he was in, and this is something that exists in America, right? Food courts in a shopping center, right? Okay, so like he realized he's like sitting in a, like a grocery shop eating a hot dog while amening and reading this book. And it was at that moment he realized he assented to something with his head. He agreed with it. He would sit there and amen it. But the reality was, he still had a desire and a love for hot dogs, right? Now, why do I bring this up? This is one of the beauties of, of parables, I think. You and I learn much of what we know through story. And it's why I think so much of the Bible is narrative, right? We get four gospels that tell not just facts about Jesus, but they tell the story of Jesus, right? I mean, you read Genesis, Exodus, like it's story. So much of our Bible is story because stories form us. We live out of a narrative, out of a story about the way the world exists, right? If you only watch a certain news network, you are going to have a certain view of the world that maybe somebody who only watches another news network will have of the world, right? Or, or the people around you, the people that you surround yourself with. You tend to think like the people around you because you're living out of the same story, right? About the way the world is. Now, let's take that into our, into our text this morning. Jesus has been speaking over and over to people in Palestine. And people in Palestine at that time, right? The Pharisees, we talked about the Pharisees, right? What were the Pharisees like? They were not just like, you know, we tend to just think of them as purely like the bad guys, right? But the Pharisees had this desire to bring the kingdom of God. And this is, I think, you know, good motives gone wrong, right? They had this idea, we can bring the kingdom of God. If we can just be good enough people, if we can just do the right things, then God will come, God will return, and the kingdom of God will come in its fullness, and it... Israel will once again be a world power. We will be those people that the Old Testament talks about, you know, ruling the world, conquering the world, you know, like that was their expectation of the Messiah. So when Jesus came preaching, there were basically four groups of people that ended up reacting to Jesus' teaching. There was a group of people that found themselves very angry by Jesus' teaching, right? Everything he said went against what they thought was the right way. And they found themselves very angry and very hostile towards Jesus. And they constantly showed up to his teaching, right? And why did they show up? Because they wanted to 
get mad. <laughs> you know, like they wanted to be like, no, you're wrong. And they wanted to argue with Jesus. And we know as we read the Gospels how well that usually went for them. It went terribly and it only made them, you know, hurt pride tends to lead people to do extreme things, right? And, and so, right, you have these people, this group of people, they're enemies. You also have this group of people that are, are you know, they're, they're consumers, right? So they're not enemies of Jesus at all. They love Jesus, but they love Jesus for what they can get from him. Right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. People, they're just coming for the healings, right? Jesus is so surrounded, he has to get on a boat because everybody's trying to crowd around him to get healed. They're not necessarily wanting to hear what Jesus has to teach and to say. They just, they just want healing. And again, we can sympathize with those people, right? But they look at Jesus in more of a consumeristic mindset. What can I get from Jesus? Here's what Jesus is going to give me. He's going to give me a healing. Right? And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, hey, if that's where you're at and that's why you're here, great, but let's not stay there. <laughs> right? Because Jesus is calling us into discipleship. And so then you have this other group of people. Um, they, they kind of seem to be a bit more um, like they're, they're on board uh, with what Jesus is saying. Let me see if I can find it, find my, my notes here. Sometimes I forget where I'm at in my note. There we go. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're interested in Jesus. So they, they have more than, more than just consumer, they're interested. They want to hear uh, what Jesus has to say, right? And so they show up and they listen, but they're still not like fully in, fully out. They're just kind of, they're, they're here processing, taking it all in. And again, if you're there, that's great, all right? We don't want you to stay there, but I want, that's an important part of the process, right? Because in the final group, right, you have the disciples. And it's not just the 12 apostles, but there's a whole gang of people who have said, we are in. We want to be a part of what you are doing, Jesus, this kingdom that you are bringing. And so as Jesus proclaims this parable, he is speaking really to four groups of people. And so he says... In the text then, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And I think that's a calling for you and me as well. We need to listen and to understand. But when I say understand, when the text says understand, realize it's not just, it's not just hear. Jesus is not just asking people to, to hear with their ears and then just kind of, you know, sort of understand with your brain cognitively. As I said before, like Jesus wants us to believe it deep into the core of our being because it is only then, it is only when it becomes a part of who I am, truly a part of who I am, when it not only becomes what I say I believe, but what I actually believe, when it becomes not only what I say I want, but what I actually want that will experience the life of the kingdom. And so this is what Jesus is calling people to, over and over, to whole life discipleship that will lead, as he says, to bearing much fruit. And so, this word, understand. Okay, I, I just kind of want to just address this for a moment. Here's your, you know, we can, if I had glasses, this would be the moment I put them on, you know, like, uh, but um, to try and look smarter than I actually am. Um, the word understand I've always thought people with glasses look smart. When I was a kid, actually, sorry, this is completely random, but when I was a kid, I actually faked an eye test. Like, I failed an eye test so miserably that I would have been legally blind because I wanted glasses so bad. Um, that actually happened. Like, my parents were like, 
like, they, the teacher, like, they called my parents into the school and they were like, we've got a problem. He took this eye test, he'd be like blind. You know, like, can you please talk to him? And I, you know, anyway, sorry, that was my, my, my glasses tangent is over. Okay, so the word for, the word understand is akuo, right? We all knew that, right? Of course, um, no. Uh, but it means, like, it has, carries this idea of listening and understanding. And so understanding for the Jews, and I think for us as well, like we, we know this, right? We say, when we really mean something, right? We say, I believe it with all my heart, right? We understand that it's not just like, oh, I believe it with all my brain, right? We know, we know that. Like we have that phrase even within the English language. I believe it with all my heart. It's an understanding that's not just a brain issue, but a heart issue. So this is not, what Jesus is talking about here is not necessarily being able to understand a concept, but rather to have a deep core conviction that leads to change. And so many of the people that Jesus ends up speaking to, he speaks these parables to, are people who, who don't understand. They're people who can't see the value of what Jesus is saying. They can't see the value of the kingdom. They don't see their need for God's upside-down kingdom. Instead, when they hear the parables, they may even, to a degree, understand what Jesus is saying, right? Because later there's going to be a parable, right, where, where it actually ends with the Pharisees going, and with the, with the text saying, and the Pharisees knew what Jesus was, you know, knew that they were, he was talking about them, right? So it's not like they don't ever get what Jesus is saying in the parables. They just don't like it, or they don't care, right? And so this is kind of what we're seeing here, that there are many people that are listening to Jesus. They're listening to these parables, but they don't see the value or the need for God's upside-down kingdom. They're people who then will miss out on the kingdom they were created for because they don't see the message of Jesus as good news. And the reason I, I, I've been like harping on this, right, is because we come to a part of this text that I think can be very difficult for us to understand. Even, I, I think on first read, maybe, maybe as, as Nam was reading it, you went like, wait, Jesus said that? Really? Like, he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, and he says, when they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and forget, be forgiven. Is Jesus really saying, like, he doesn't want people to turn to him and be forgiven? Like, is that what he's saying? I don't think so. I think Jesus understands that there are people with very hard hearts that don't seem to want to hear what he has to say. And the more he says it, the more angry they get. But does that mean that Jesus doesn't want them to know him? Well, well no. In fact, if we think about the way that prophecy worked in the Bible, okay? Like when you go back to Isaiah, like if you read Isaiah chapter 6, right? That's where this comes from. If you read Isaiah chapter 6, that prophecy is in there about the people of Israel. And it's very harsh. It's kind of one of those, you know, we have that famous verse, you know, of Isaiah saying, here I am, send me, right? We know that verse. We've probably heard that verse. Do you know this is what comes directly after it? <laughs> Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then God says, all right, tell the people, they're not listening, they won't understand, I'm done. Like, oh, thanks God. <laughs> like, you know, like he just had like this mountaintop moment and I just imagine like just like bringing him down to reality. But verse 13 then goes on to say, okay, verse 13 says, If even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. It's a call to repentance. 
What Jesus is saying here, what Isaiah was saying, was a call to repentance. And when the prophets spoke, it was condemnation for sure, but it was a call to repentance. That those who had ears to hear, that when they would hear something like this, there would be a group of people that went, oh boy, <laughs> we've made a big mistake. And throughout the history of Israel and throughout the history of the world, there have always been those people, right? They've heard the message and then gone, oh boy, we've made a big mistake. You think about the book of Acts, how many Pharisees it says were coming to know Jesus. There was a group of Pharisees that it crucified our Lord, <laughs> who eventually went, oh boy, we've made a huge mistake. <laughs> that was the point. Like Jesus is saying, like, look, there is maybe, like, what Jesus is saying is this. It's a warning that's meant to be a wake-up call. But there is still hope. And that's, I think, important in this. There is still hope. So Jesus is speaking in the, at this point. When he, when he utters these words, those that don't want to hear are long gone, right? Because it says, what does it say? He replied, um, you are permitted to, this, to understand the secret or mystery, your Bible may say, of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be for, fulfilled. Um, what I wanted to go was the verse before that, who says that when he was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, right? There's a group of people that are gathered around that want to hear. So this is important as we get into the parables, right? Everything I've said, like just, okay, it's, I know we haven't really waded into the parable yet, but I'm trying to, we're going to be going through quite a few parables. So I'm trying to help us understand. The parables are an invitation. In a lot of ways, the parables are an invitation, a story and an invitation to know God and to know what his kingdom is like. If you go to the Gospel of Matthew, a lot of the parables start out, the kingdom of God is like, right? It's an invitation to know God and to know his kingdom. But Jesus says, like, look, if you want to know, come, listen, think about it, meditate on it. Right? Because these are things that are difficult even just to understand in pure facts. A story really helps us to understand. The parables are, are in a way, Jesus kind of putting the ball in our court. Right? He puts the ball in our court. He doesn't just hand us the answer, but he invites us to think about it and to come to our own conclusions. And so to those who want to know, the parables become an invitation to dive deeper. Like if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, if you want to know what Jesus is like, sit with the parables. Honestly, sit with them for a while. Think about them. They are an invitation to dive deeper. To those though, who are calloused and have their own agendas, what the, what the parables are going to do is just push them away further. With parables, you've got to want to do the work. And so, as we have this idea of heart level or, or even understanding with our imagination, Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, pray, or it's not, not Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 1, prays, uh, like 15 I think it is, prays that the eyes of the Ephesians' heart would be open, that they would understand and be able to imagine the greatness of God. And so in verses um, 9 and 12 of our text, Jesus talks about seeing and hearing and the seeing is a heart-level understanding. Jesus is inviting us to see the world through the framework of the kingdom. All right, that was a really long introduction. Let's, let's take a few minutes. Let's talk about the parable. All right? Now, this is one, hey, at least, like, you know what? We have the text. Jesus gives us the explanation, 
right? We pretty much know what, what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus gives this important message. So, so the Pharisees, not the Pharisees, the disciples, again, they didn't understand, but they wanted to, right? So even there, this, this quote from Isaiah that Jesus gives, right? There's, there's a group of people that have gone away, but the disciples are there and other people are there and they're still kind of going like, Jesus, I, maybe I kind of get it. I don't know. I, can you help, help us out here? Like, can you, can you just spell it out for us, please? And maybe you're like that. Maybe you've been like that too. Like, you're like, Jesus, it would just be a lot easier if you'd spell it out for me, please. Right? Okay, well, this first parable, you're welcome. Jesus spells it out for us. Right? And the reason he says he does this, he says, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? What does he mean? What does he mean by that? Here's what I think he means, right? He's given a parable of the soils. And there's four types of soil, right? And only one of them is good. And I think what Jesus is kind of saying is like, look, if you're not the good soil, ready to learn, ready to be cultivated, ready to be planted, then, then all this other stuff that I talk about, it's not going to make any sense. Like, it's not going to make any sense. You're going to listen to it and you're going to go, okay, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and, and a lot of people did that with Jesus, right? And so, so he's saying like, look, guys, Please, if, if you don't understand this, you're going to have a hard time understanding anything else that I say. If you're not good soil, the rest of the parables about the kingdom are not going to make sense to you, even if you understand their meaning. And so then he explains the parable, right? So the farmer, now he doesn't exactly say who the farmer is, but I think, uh, you know, if, if we're, this kind of farmer and seed and all of that is actually something we find in the Old Testament. It comes up a few times, uh, and, and the sower in this case, is God. Usually in the Old Testament, the sower, is, well, always the sower is God, and uh, Israel is, is, the, is the soil in, in those parables, right? Okay, so this would have been somewhat familiar to people, and so they would have seen, as Jesus is telling the parable, they probably would have seen the idea of, of God as the sower, the one who sows the seed. Now, that's true, right? We know that. God is the one who sows the seed, but we also get to play a part in that. And Jesus, I think, kind of leaves that open to say, hey, you know what? Now, you know, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. That's Matthew 28. So Jesus, you know, as he ascends into heaven, gives us the task of then scattering the seed. So I think he kind of leaves that open. But I think here what we're seeing is the farmer is, is Christ. The seed is the good news of the kingdom. It's the gospel message that Jesus has come to rescue the world. And then we see that there are two kinds of soil. Now, I said earlier there are four kinds of soil, but really there are only two, right? There's good soil and there's bad soil, right? Because the first three are all bad soil. So there's two types of soil, bad soil and good soil. And, and so we find that the footpath, right, that the people who are scattered onto the footpath, these are people that have no interest in the kingdom. They hear, they immediately dismiss it. They want to have nothing to do with it. I would venture a guess if you're here, that's not you random guess there, I'm going to say that that's probably not you. Unless you were like me growing up and your parents made you come to church. Maybe it's you. I don't know. But like, but I'm saying for probably for most of us, that's, that's not the reality is that we just dismiss it out of hand. We're here because we at least have some sort of passing interest in Jesus. But these are people who have no interest. They immediately dismiss. Okay, this is not necessarily about people being able to get it or to understand, uh, to understand at a cognitive level, but people actually maybe even understanding at a cognitive level, but just not seeing the value, 
Like they just purely don't see the value. And we know people like that, right? And the Pharisees, they're the religious people. And that's, you know, and maybe that's even been an experience for you, a religious people that don't seem to actually care a whole lot about Jesus. Uh, you know, I hope that at our church that's not the experience, but maybe in your past that's been, been an experience, right? But Jesus describes these people as, you know, soil like a really hard footpath. I know that's something maybe hard for us to understand here where it rains all the time, but if you go to the desert, you know, or something, you know, like, like my parents live in Arizona now, like trying to dig a hole in the desert is not any, I like, my dad literally, I was trying to help him dig a fence post hole one time. And we literally like had a drill and we were like trying to drill like an auger, like into the ground to do, like it took us hours to drill like a hole, like this deep, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's the type of soil Jesus is saying these people are, right? It's hard to get through to them. They don't want to hear. And the rocky soil then is, is when life is hard or people give you a hard time. Maybe like these are the people who then, when things get difficult, they're out, right? They have a passing interest, but they're not like, they're not really in, right? They, they have, may have a, a passing interest, but when things get difficult, they walk away. And it's interesting that Jesus says that, uh, that or sorry, in the parable, it says that the sun scorched them. And they soon, sorry, uh, so it'd be verse 5. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. What killed this soil? The hot sun. What killed the plant? It was the hot sun. It was the fact that this soil was rocky and that no roots could take hold. And so the burning, baking sun killed it. Right? And that's why Jesus is saying, like, it's the worries. It's the, you know, that the, that the pressure of this life sometimes is like rocky soil. When, when maybe, you know, our friends, like, people are doing things that, that maybe, look, here's the, here's the deal. Sin, people sin because it's fun. If it wasn't fun, who would do it? Right? Like, for the most part, it's a temporary fun, right? And so there's a lot of things that maybe me may be tempted to look at and say, actually, I think I want to do that. I think that would be better for me, right? And, and what ends up happening is then we kind of go, well, the kingdom of God, eh, maybe I'll come back to that. Like, that's rocky soil. Because eventually what happens is as the sun keeps beating down, as we keep chasing all of these things that we think are going to make us happy, that we think are going to satisfy, that sun beats down on our faith. And eventually, there's no real roots have taken place. It's gone. It's gone. And you have the thorny soil. And this, I think, in some ways is similar. You know, when you love something more than Christ, <laughs> it's like the thorns growing up. And they choke them. I don't know if you've ever seen, like, like, you know, you've been walking in the woods or something and see, like, the vines wrapped around things. Right? Or uh, Alyssa and I have a little, uh, well, it's hard to call it a garden. We have, like, a, a raised flower bed that we're, We've planted a few things in. And the other day, Alyssa and I went out to water it. And like, there's already stuff like creeping up in there, like wrapping itself around the other plants. And, the, and it'll choke them out. If we left it, if we didn't you know, mess with it, like it would choke out those plants and they, they would die. Right? And that's what Jesus is saying here when he, when he talks about this. When you love something more than Christ, it chokes out your faith. Life's worries, the pleasures, the riches of this world. All of those things that even there, our world may say, this is the measure of success. This is how you know you've become a successful person. A lot of those things are deceitful and they will choke out our faith. They will strangle us alive. But yet we still, like it's so tempting, we still think, oh, I want that. But they will choke us and leave us 
dead. And Jesus is saying, there's going to be people who when the altar call comes, you know, or whatever, they raise their hand, they're going to go, yes, I'm in. And even for a time, they're going to be like at church every single Sunday, and they're going to be doing all those things. And then eventually what happens is somebody goes, hey, why don't you skip this Sunday and come with me to go do this? Or, or hey, do you know what? Can you work Sunday? There's a promotion in it for you. Or, hey, can you do these things? You know, like, not just like Sunday, but like even like just during the week. Hey, do you know what? Think about this. Maybe this is more important. Like, we've all probably been there at some point in our lives where there was something else that took priority or precedence over our relationship with Christ. And what Jesus is saying is that will choke your faith and eventually it will kill you. And it may be something good. It may be something you love doing. It may even be something that wouldn't ordinarily be sinful. But when it becomes something that replaces or takes the place of our relationship with Christ, it will choke us out. And so, Jesus says, all three of those soils are destructive and no seed can grow. No fruit can come from those soils. And so one of the things that I think uh, that we see is, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that saying, like all roads you know, lead the same to the top of the mountain, right? I think what Jesus is getting at here, I know I'm mixing metaphors, but I think what Jesus is really getting at here is, is it's not all roads lead up to the, same, to the top of the mountain. In fact, there's only one road, and there's only one person that can get you to the top of the mountain. You can try climbing it by yourself, but there's a whole lot of ways that lead to the bottom of the mountain, right? To falling off the mountain. There's a million ways that you can tumble down the mountain to your death, but there is only one way to get to the top of the mountain. Or if we're going to keep it with Jesus' metaphors, maybe more is like, much is the ground that is unfruitful for planting, and little is the soil that leads to a rich harvest of fruit. So we see that the point of the parable is about the kingdom seed. So, right, Jesus is spreading, or God is spreading the seed of the kingdom, merging with the soil, coming together with the soil to produce much fruit. And so this, this good soil are those that hear, that understand, and bear fruit. In other words, they live out of a new reality that the kingdom of God is here and now. And so, what I think we see is that, that Jesus' parable here has a bit of a bite to it for those of us sitting in church. We may not be the hard soil, but we may come to church every Sunday and think we're doing pretty good, thank you very much. And Jesus is... <laughs> parable here is a bit of a wake-up call that says, hold on, I actually need to take a pretty good assessment of my life and ask myself, what kind of soil am I? Which kind of soil am I? Am I a rocky soil? Am I in danger of the sun just completely wiping out my faith? Am I, am I soil where are there a lot of weeds in my life growing up and wrapping and tangling around and challenging my, my faith? Or am I good soil bearing good fruit. Because only one kind of soil will truly be the soil that leads to life. And this would have been a harsh reminder to the people listening to Jesus' message here. And it's a harsh reminder to us too, but it's one we need. Because what counts is not just a profession of faith, but a life of faithfulness. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Okay? I want to make that abundantly clear. 
But just raising your hand one Sunday and then never following Jesus, just being baptized, just saying a prayer, just however you want to, want to look at that, right? Just one time saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. Like that in itself is its own fruit, right? When we go on living our own lives, like it shows the fruit that says, actually, I've never really accepted Christ. I may have said once in my life, I love this, I love Jesus, but the reality of my life is that I don't actually love what I think. <laughs> I'm loving something else completely different, whether that's myself, whether that's, you know, like my, my you know, success or a job or, you know, whatever it might be, it's not actually Jesus. So a life of faithfulness does not save us, but it shows the fruit of our salvation, right? That we have experienced new life in Christ. And so what counts is not just a profession of faith, but a profession of faith that is followed by a life of faithfulness. Now, this is not perfection. I'm not saying, okay, you know, like if you've known me for any amount of time, you know that that is not true. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's a life of perfection, but it is a life of consistently coming back to the feet of Jesus and saying, I want to I know you. I want to be good soil. Make me good soil. So what kind of soil are you? What areas of your life are you keeping from God? You know, it's, it's one of those guys, I think this is a hard, this is a hard sermon because Jesus' parable is a hard parable. It really is. It's like, it's one of those, like, it's a punch in the gut. <laughs> what kind of soil am I? But it's one that we need, and we need it constantly and consistently in our lives. We need to sit with this parable and let it, let it work. Are we bearing fruit? Are we the kind of soil, right? And it says, right, that, that it bears, uh, so Jesus says, where's it at? It's the end, end here. And the seed, sorry, verse 20, and the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. Jesus wants to bear fruit in your life. Right? And sometimes I think maybe, and this is just maybe for some of you, sometimes I think we can get discouraged when we look at the people bearing fruit a hundredfold. <laughs> and we look at our lives and maybe it's like fivefold. You know, we're kind of like, we can get really discouraged by that, right? But here's the thing. Jesus, like it's 30, 60, even a hundred times. Like to me, but I pull it out of this, like, it's a process, right? And cultivating a field is a process. I don't know if you grew up anywhere near farms, but it takes a lot of work to have a high yield of crops. Farmers have to know what they're doing. They have to work hard. They, I mean, there is a lot of work. You know, it's not just like, oh, I just throw out some seeds and then I sit in my house all day, you know? Maybe there's some of that, I don't know. But no, no, like, I mean, like for farmers, I mean, it's hard work, right? They've got to cultivate the land. They've got to till and plow. They've got to, you know, to, to aerate. They, they, I mean, there's all kinds of things that have to be done, right? In order to yield the highest crop. And here's the thing. The farmer is not done with you. Wherever you are, maybe you're yielding fivefold. The farmer's not done with you. But what would it take for that farmer to work in your life so that you yield tenfold? So that then you yield 24. Maybe then you get to 30. And maybe after you've been following Jesus long enough and giving your life to him long enough, now all of a sudden it's a hundredfold. I, I think it's one of those, like, we can look at that and say, Jesus wants 
us to have a higher yield all the time, as long as we're keeping with agricultural references. You don't have to stay where you are. <laughs> Jesus wants to make you more like him. So how do we bear fruit? Now, many of us were here in our series on the spiritual disciplines, so you, you probably know where I'm going with this, right? Talking about spiritual practices. In John 15, right? In verse 5, Jesus says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. If we want to have a high yield, <laughs> it starts with abiding in Christ. In order to bear fruit, we must abide in Christ. As we come to then move forward maybe to, to Paul's words in Galatians chapter 5, right? Because this agricultural me metaphor of like farming and bearing fruit, like it's all over uh, the Bible. Paul says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, right? So it's letting the Holy Spirit be the one who guides our lives. And then he continues, you know, as you read uh, Galatians chapter 5, right? It's all about the fruit of the Spirit. What are the fruit of the Spirit? How do you cultivate the fruit of the Spirit? So 5.16 says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, but abiding in Christ then will be the only way we live faithfully and bear good fruit. And so Paul then goes on in Galatians 5.22 with this agricultural metaphor to say, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I just want to take a second and say, how many of you could look at that list and go, that's a terrible list. I don't want any of those. I would say none of us. I think deep down, these are our desires. We desire these things. We admire people who are kind, right? We admire people who are faithful often. We admire People who have self-control, we think, wow, if only I could have some of that, right? You know, like we admire people who are good and kind and patient. And you know what? That's what you were created for too. That's what I was made for. To experience the life of Jesus, to have the life of Jesus. We were created for that. And sin gets in the way. We think we're only really living when we're sinning, but actually real life comes from bearing fruit where we become the people we were always created to be. Imagine a world full of people who were kind to each other. <laughs> Imagine a group of people, you know, a world where people were faithful. What they said, they did. They were patient and gentle. They had self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what we are to cultivate. This is what it looks like to bear good fruit. And then here's what Paul actually, before he gives the fruit of the Spirit, says, here's, here's what the world is like. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild part. This could have been written like yesterday, right? I mean, this is like, this is like 10 minutes on Twitter. <laughs> like, our world is full of this. And how many really look at that and go, hmm, envy, yeah, that's great. I wish I had more of that, right? The fruit of the Spirit brings life. And so the reality then becomes we look like the kingdom we belong to. We become the people 
we become what we love. Essentially, you are what you love, but you may not love what you think, and you become like what you love. You will look like the kingdom you belong to. Your king will become obvious when you look at your life goals, your habits, your loves. Right? And so again, we ask, that, we ask the question, what kind of fruit am I bearing in my life? What am I abiding in? And so abiding in Christ means remaining connected to him. As I said, we did a whole series on that, so I won't spend a lot of time. But one of the things I will say that I think is important, I know a lot of slides here, banging out at once here, you will not grow close to Christ by accident. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. <laughs> it's a partnership with the Spirit. Right? The soil partners with the seed to grow into and bear fruit. Right? It is a gift of the Spirit, the seed, for sure. But there is a, a way in which we partner with the Spirit in becoming the people that God wants us to be. We can't be completely passive. And, you know, okay, we are... We don't play a part in our salvation, but we certainly play a part in our sanctification. In other words, how we become like Jesus. How we sin, you know, love Jesus more and sin less. We play a part in that. And church is a good place to start, but it's not the only place. Right? It can't just be the only place. We must meet together often, yes, and intentionally. But we also need to establish habits of relationship with Christ because these habits will actually speak to the stories that I believe. And, and as we meditate on Scripture, this is one of them, as we learn the stories of Jesus, as we meditate on the stories of Jesus, they begin, and we make a habit of doing that, they begin to speak down into the very core of our being. The more we read Jesus' parables and sit with them, they can change us and mold us and speak to us at a deep level, more than just a cognitive level, but at a heart level. And so we must learn to tell the story. So here's, here's, I guess, here's the thing. Another slide, here we go. Four rhythms that I think are really important that we can begin to form now that are counterformative, that will help us, I think, to partner with the Spirit to become better soil that yields a bigger crop is learning the story. Get to know God. Be formed by the story. Praying. You're like, ah, oh, no kidding. Read the Bible and pray. Okay, yeah, well, it still needs to be said <laughs> because for a lot of us, we know that we just don't do it, right? So like these are two things. Reading the Bible, learning the story of God, praying. It's a place to know and be known. Prayer is a place where you can be honest with God, right? You read the Psalms. They're prayers, right? They're about as honest as they come. You can be honest with God in prayer. He knows anyway. It's a place to know and be known. To be honest, not good. Meditating, taking time to dwell with the scripture and let it do its work. Not just a verse of the day. I read it real quick, slam my Bible, I, thought, I, I don't think about it the rest of the day. Right? It's letting it do its work inside of us. God's word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce between bone and marrow, right? It just like can slice into the deepest parts of who we are and change us. And so we meditate on it. And the other thing is resting. Because it's really hard to meditate. It's really hard to spend time in prayer. It's really hard to spend time reading the Word if we never rest. For some of you, that's really easy. You're like, hey, I rest all the time. I'm not talking about just turning on the TV and watching Netflix, right? I'm saying intentional rest. And for some of you, this is a struggle. 
because you're the type of person that even when you're sitting down, you're like twiddling your thumbs, you know, like you, you've got to be doing something, right? But actually resting. We talked about this even there. Luke talked about this just very recently. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But the Sabbath, taking a Sabbath, this is counterformation. Because the Sabbath causes us to remember that God is our provider. It goes against the grain of a life of busy and hurry, and it causes us to slow down and remember who we are and to who we belong. Okay, and so these are just four things that I think we could start. Like These are places to start. They're not the only things. They're not by, by any means a comprehensive list. They're just places that I think we can very easily start. Okay, like something like resting. You can start that. Like that should be pretty easy. Like it's like I just don't do. <laughs> you know, like taking a rest. Like you have permission. Take a break. You know, even there God's like, hey, take a break. Okay, so like these are things that we can do. This is a start. This is a place to then become good, hopefully become good soil as the Spirit works in our lives, making us better and better soil. So we partner with the Spirit and causing the fruit of the Spirit to grow. So what changes do I need to make in my life to implement these practices? We come to the, we come to the end here. You guys have done a good job. You're like hanging in with me. Thank you. Here's what I want to say. Soil can change. And I, I want this to be an encouragement to you. Soil can change. I, I can tell you, growing up, I was not good soil. <laughs> I remember a time, like, I, I would fake being sick, and my mom would be like, are you throwing up? And I'd be like, no. She's like, well, you can come to church. You know? Or, like, I remember, like, I was, we always sat up at the front. I remember, like, falling asleep in church one time so hard that I hit my head on the front of the pew. And it just, like, you know, the reverberations from the wooden pew just rang out, and everyone was looking at me. And, you know, like... I was not good soil. I don't think. I was pretty hard soil. Because I had a lot of other things I wanted to do besides follow Jesus. But by the grace of God, slowly but surely, I became good soil. I was ready to listen. Soil can change. Where you are is not where you have to be. Let God change you. Even if you're good soil right now, you can be better soil. <laughs> and it comes through living a life with Jesus. And I don't say that in like some legalistic way. I say it in an exciting way. It's just like, actually, we can become better soil. We can become kinder people, more loving people, people who know the God of the universe even better. Hard soil can change. The Spirit can rain on that soil and soften it. Rocky soil can change. Thorny soil can change. But we have to allow the Spirit to take a machete to the thorns, and sometimes that's painful. But it can change. And as I was reading uh, for this sermon, I came across, um, there was an early church father by the name of John Chrysostom. And I just found as I read this, like it just really resonated with me. He says this, But the rocky soil can turn in time, or sorry, the rocky soil can in time turn into rich soil. Among souls, the wayside may come no longer to be trampled by all that pass and may become a fertile field. The thorns may be destroyed and the seed enjoy full growth. For had, not this, been, for had this not been impossible, sorry, for, let me just start that sentence again. For had this not been impossible, this sower would not have sown. Soil can change. God is the Lord even of the soil. And by the power of the Spirit, 
and through the sacrificial death of Jesus, who died in our place for our rebellion, for our sin. We too can be a part of Jesus' kingdom and live empowered to bear much fruit, to live the life that we were created for, a kingdom life here and now. Let's just finish in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you.